So as you know, here at North County, we invest in children. It's one of the things that we're called to and we believe deeply in this mission. And that begins at birth. At birth, we start holding your babies. We start singing over them. We start, you know, letting them hear Bible stories, K through third. Uh, they learn about Jesus and his love for them. And oftentimes when they hit fourth and fifth grade, they're at that place of decision. And that's the place where Matt Bateman gets to often take them through that time of, of baptism. And Matt Bateman's been doing our EDGE program now for two plus years. But I remember before that, he came to me uh, four years ago or so, something like that, four or five, came into my office and said, Pastor Kurt, I want to talk to you about the fact that I feel called to ministry, that I really feel called to full-time working with students, working in the church. Now, Matt had a great job at Axiom, project in, uh, project manager, and a, a great job. And so uh, when Matty Gerlach moved up with the anchor a couple of years ago, we moved Matt Bateman into part-time edge director, right? And so he was full-time Axiom, part-time edge director, working 60, 65 hours a week. Did that for two years. Uh, recently, uh, he came to me and he said, um, you know, I, I think I'm ready, I'm ready to pull the trigger on this thing. So over a series of events, uh, we decided it was time for Matt Bateman to go full-time with us. And so now he's full-time North County Christ the King and, <laughs> and part-time Axiom. How many of you know that financial decision didn't work out that well for him? However, however, God called him. So here he is. And so I'm so excited to be able to introduce you to Matt Bateman. He's spoken to us before, but if you don't know him, here's our fourth and fifth grade edge director. Come on up here, buddy. Great guy. And so to round out his duties, I've been without an associate pastor for a couple of years. And so to round out his duties, he's going to start stepping into family ministries, which means uh, working with parents in raising adolescents and adolescents becoming teenagers and parenting things, all kinds of stuff you know, that families deal with. And so he's going to jump into some training. He's an educator, so that's great. And then I also want to let you know that just a couple weeks ago, the council voted to approve him as a staff pastor. So he's going to be a staff pastor for us. So welcome, Matty Bateman. Matt Bateman to the platform this morning. He's going to preach God's word. That's a, that's a great start. I love that. You know, that's, that's great right there. Love it. Football. Yes. Uh, yes. I love that. Thank you for the response on football. Um, <laughs> oh, I've got one more announcement, okay? This week on Wednesday is our Edge Water Slides. And if you have a fourth and fifth grader, they need to be at the Edge Water Slides. And today is the last day they can sign up. So if you are an Edge kid in this room right now, I need you to turn and look at your parents and say, with puppy dog eyes, Mom and Dad, did you sign me up? And if you are a parent and that answer is no, you say, after church today, because I love you, I'm going to sign you up. Okay? So, all edge kids should be there. All right. But before we get started, I want to pray. Okay? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the chance to be here with you, to, to, to dive deeper in our relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are at work in this church, in every single person's life in here. And Lord, today... I ask that you will go forward and hit the hearts of the people in this room. Let them be open to hear your word and your calling. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I love 
being in the edge with the edge kids. Uh, but it's kind of a, a treat to get to come over here and be with the big kids in here. Um, but today is actually kind of special because all the edge kids are in here with us too. And all the anchor kids. So we've got all ages in here. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to be able to teach to everybody today. Um, something you may not know about me is that I am a very competitive person. I want to be the best at everything I do. Years ago, I was a salesman. And each month, before the close of the month, I would check the sales numbers to see who was number one. And if I wasn't number one, it was a bad day. And I would start calling my customers. I'd start trying to push up orders. I would do everything I could to be number one. I wasn't on commission. There was no reward for this. I just wanted people to know who I was. I wanted, when I left that sales position, to be known as the best salesman who ever lived. I wanted to have a legacy of success, to be remembered for what I had done. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, being called to legacy. I just want to take a couple seconds, and I'm going to ask you a question today. And I want you to think about it and hold that answer in your head. You ready? How do you define legacy? Has everybody got it? Now I'm going to give you the real answer. <laughs> legacy is something handed down or received from an ancestor or predecessor. Legacy is more about sharing what you've learned, not just what you've earned. Values over valuables. Simply put, legacy is the person you are remembered as, not what you had. I know a man who had a very successful company. And he had a right-hand man and he had a man right below him. And, and those two guys did all the day-to-day stuff. They made all the decisions. They ran the company, really. But, but the, the owner, he would make the giant decisions and he would pay the checks. Well, one day, the time came as the owner was in his 70s that he decided, I want to retire and move out of state. So as you would expect, the company would go to those two right-hand men. Well, that's not what happened. See... He decided to shut down the company because his name was on it and that company was his legacy. So if he passed it on to these guys, one of two things happen. One, they do really well. And even though his name isn't on, uh, his name is on the company, they're the ones who are remembered for doing so well. Or they royally screw it up. And because his name is on the company, he's the one who's remembered for the bad company. But this was his legacy. And he wanted to be remembered as the quality and the integrity and the honesty that he was trying to leave behind. He wouldn't let his legacy go. One way or another, most of us strive to leave a legacy to be remembered. And, and whether it's just in your family or it's bigger, we want to be remembered for something, and we are. 
The American novelist Dara Horn says, every person has a legacy. We may not know what our impact is, and it may not be something you can write on your tombstone, but every person has an impact on this world. So what do you want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? This is family participation time. So I need you to just shout out what kind of legacy you want to leave. I need to hear all of it. First answer. Give them a hand. 99% of the time, the answer is Jesus. Well, I want to introduce you to a different kind of legacy today. It's called a living legacy. And while our legacy is typically inward focused, how will I be remembered? What can I do to be remembered? A living legacy is kingdom focused. Specifically, living legacy is the kingdom impact resulting from a life lived to bring glory to Jesus. And that's from the Bateman Dictionary of Awesomeness. (laughs) See, God has given us all unique talents and gifts and, and given us a calling for our lives. From the moment that we choose to follow Jesus, we receive his Holy Spirit and we become his disciples. Pastor Greg Rochelle says... God has given you everything you need to do everything you are called to do. If you're 18 and younger in this room, will you please raise your hand? And I know there's a lot of you. Look at all those hands. That's awesome. I don't ever want to hear you say, I'm too young. You are not too young to live a legacy for Jesus. The moment that you received Christ and you chose to follow him, that is when your impact starts. He has called you to make a difference. Now, you also might be in here and you might be saying, I'm too old to start leaving a living legacy now. And to that, I say, you are not old. You are wise. But some of you are probably just old. But if you can speak, if you can move, if you are not confined to a bed with your jaw wired shut, you can still be effective for Jesus. And even in that, God can use you. The only time that our effectiveness stops is when we stop breathing. And as far as I can tell, everybody's breathing in this room right now. So you can still leave a living legacy. In the book of of Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to a man named Stephen. Now a little backstory. Um, The apostles, the 12 apostles, were running a sort of food bank for the widows in Jerusalem. Now there were two groups of Jews in Jerusalem. There were the Hellenist Jews who had adopted uh, the Greek language and the Greek culture. And then there were the Hebraic Jews. Now, these were the, the Jews that everything was by the book according to Judaism. Now, they would look down on the Hellenists because they believed that because they had adopted these Greek uh, influences in their lives, they had compromised their Jewish heritage. So that the Hellenists were complaining that because the Hebraics were the good Jews, 
that they were getting, those widows were getting special treatment. They were getting given more. They were getting given better. So the apostles realized, you know what? Our highest and best use of our time is not running a food bank, but rather preaching and delivering the word of God. So they decided that they needed to choose seven men and appoint them to care for the widows. However, there were some specific characteristics that were required of these men. It says in Acts 6.3, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Of these seven men, the first listed was Stephen. And while a couple of the others we read about in the Word go on to make these amazing impacts, there was something different about Stephen. And it says in Acts 6, 5, that Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Before this moment, we don't know anything about Stephen. We haven't heard of him one bit. We don't know his family history. We don't know his employment. We don't know his ministry experience. We don't know anything about him. This is the first that we see of Stephen. And I think it's significant because a living legacy requires a servant's heart. In Luke 22, we see the disciples having an argument about who is the best. And I'd guess it was mostly Peter and John because they seem to always be competing with each other. But Jesus squashes it pretty quick. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. I am among you as one who serves. I believe that the reason why we don't see Stephen until this point is because This is when he begins his living legacy. This is when his servant heart is shown in action. He isn't building a legacy for himself. His legacy is focused outward on Jesus. This is when he begins to fulfill his calling. But Stephen's service didn't stop at food service. In fact, after this moment, we don't read about the food bank at all. Instead, his legacy continues in a different area. It says in Acts 6, 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen gave time and energy and God magnified his influence through the lens of his service. I think too often we choose not to serve or limit our, we choose not to serve or we limit ourselves in our service Because we're afraid to use the gifts and the talents that God has given us for service. But God doesn't limit us to what we can do. He is capable of so much more. Whatever we give, He will multiply. I want you to think of a ripple in the water. When that ripple comes across the water and it goes under your boat, you feel it just a little bit. Then, if a wave comes across that ripple, 
or a wind comes across that ripple, it turns it into a wave. And the bigger the wind, the bigger the wave. The bigger the wind, the bigger the wave. And then when that wave crashes, another wave forms. And if the wind continues, the waves get bigger and bigger and bigger. God is the wind. God is the wind pushing our ripple. God can turn your ripple into a tsunami. He has no limit to the power that he has through you. Where are you serving? Or are you serving at all? Jesus said to look to him as an example that we are called to serve. Some, like Kurt said, might hold babies. Some might shake hands with a smile on their face. Some cook for volunteers. Some teach. Some help those who are struggling financially and, and yet others help those who are struggling with addiction. In your church, in your community, in the workplace, or even at home, where is your ripple? Where is God going to make waves? You know, once Stephen started working for God, he became known by people. And they became jealous. They challenged him. And when they couldn't stand against the knowledge and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, they presented lies to the religious leaders. Similar lies that were presented about Jesus. It says in Acts 6.11, So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and God. Stephen was arrested. And he was brought before the high council, the Sanhedrin. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but growing up, every time I would hear about the high council, I had a picture in my mind, something like this. (laughs) Not that they were Lego characters and not that they were Star Wars characters, although that would be kind of cool to stand in front of the high council and have Yoda be the one who's like questioning, questioning you. Explain yourself, you must. That would be really cool. But no, I'm talking about the number of guys and and where they were sitting. Like, I always had this picture that there were like five to ten angry looking dudes sitting in front of Stephen. and, And he's having to face these guys. But in actuality, this is what it looked like. There were 71 members of this council. And I'm sure they were probably still mean looking dudes. But they were surrounding him. So you can imagine the intimidation, the fear that he would have to have standing on trial for Jesus. But something amazing happened as Stephen stood before them. It says in Acts 6.15, At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Our last series was called filled. And about it was all about how the Holy Spirit fills us and how we can allow him to use us and fill us. I believe that in this moment Stephen surrendered fully to the Holy Spirit and allowed him to fully fill every part of his life 
outside of Jesus himself, the only other person we see whose face glows like this is Moses when he was in the presence of God. I believe that this was just a fraction of God's glory shining out of Stephen. And in that moment, just like any of us would, Stephen had a dilemma. Defend or stay quiet. Instead, Stephen provides them with a history lesson. He tells of God's promise to Abraham, of land and descendants, and God kept his promise, but it took time. And then of Joseph, Joseph, who was rejected by his brothers after he prosperous after he prophesied about his reign over them. And God kept his promise there too. And Joseph did reign over them. But it wasn't until the second time that he appeared to his brothers that they accepted him. Joseph also was the one whom through God kept his promise about bringing his people into a foreign land where they would become slaves. And then Moses, again, a man rejected by his people until he returned to save them. The tabernacle and the temple, temporary locations for God's glory to be shown, symbols of his presence. We could go through all of this stuff and we could go through his message and it would be amazing, but we don't have time. I would recommend that you dive in to Acts 7, 1 through 50. It is full of God's promises fulfilled of pictures of people who so perfectly modeled how Jesus would give his life thousands of years later. And after all he had said, Stephen still didn't defend himself. Instead, in confidence, he stands bold for Jesus in the face of danger knowing what the consequences could be. It continues in Acts 7.51. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and killed. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, and even though you received it from the hands of angels. Stephen points to all these prophets who were rejected. And even now, they've killed Jesus, their Messiah. They've chosen not only to reject Jesus, but his Holy Spirit. He calls out their sin that they so desperately needed Jesus for their murder and their disobedience. Surrounded in indefinite danger, Stephen is willing to sacrifice his safety, his his reputation, and his life for Jesus. Because Stephen knew that a living legacy requires a willing to sacrifice For Jesus. If you haven't had to sacrifice anything in your life for Jesus, I would dare to say 
that you aren't giving enough. We're not saying that you're going to have to give your life or, or you're going to have to risk your safety for Jesus. Most likely, that won't happen for most of us. But maybe it's money. Maybe there's something that you've wanted for a long time, so you've been stashing away money instead of giving it to Jesus the way you're supposed to. Or, or maybe it's a little status in your workplace or your career, or your school. Students, this goes for you too. This isn't just for the adults. You may be put in a situation where the unpopular thing to do is to go against the crowd and it will cost you a lot. Or maybe it's your comfort. When God asks you to step out of your bubble into somebody else's. Honestly, I think this is something we all struggle with. Including me. A few months back, my family was going to a movie. And we were walking up to the theater and we walked past Woods Coffee. And off to the right, sitting at a table, there was a young lady. And there was a young man sitting to the left, and a young lady sitting to the right. And this woman was bawling. She was crying her eyes out. And I wasn't sure if the other two were just comforting her or praying her. But I heard God tell me, go pray. And I kept walking. I disobeyed God. I have no idea what kind of ripple would have made, what kind of wave God could have made from that ripple, because I disobeyed. But I have repented, and I have committed to never ignore God, and to obey Him when He calls me and answer. We all need to obey when we are called. Following Jesus and living a legacy for him is going to be hard. Jesus promised it. He said in Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to be killed. And now he points to the cross. The most brutal and humiliating public execution. As an example of what they will have to go through for him. The sacrifice that they will have to make. And nothing has changed from 2,000 years ago. To leave a living legacy, we must pick up our crosses daily and be willing to sacrifice for Jesus. If persecution comes, it comes. Jesus went through a whole lot more for us. I want to share a story about another friend of mine. He's a man that I would say is leaving a living legacy. I actually called him to ask him if he would give a video testimony for us. And I told him what we were talking about. 
And he said, but that's the thing, Matt. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. So he agreed to let me share his story anonymously. We're going to call him Max. So Max has lived a pretty good life. And God gave him talents and gifts. And and one of those is his wisdom for business. The other is a strong body. So throughout his life, he's done really well for himself. But God's also given him the gift of giving. And so Max has given more away than he has kept in his life. And now Max also likes to go to California. And while he's there, he likes to ride his bike around. And he he always goes to the same McDonald's and gets himself an ice cream cone. And then he sits at the table and he looks outside and makes, makes sure nobody steals his bike. One day, he went to McDonald's. He got his ice cream cone. He went over to sit down. There was a young lady sitting at the table across from him. And he, he noticed she looked very stressed. So he sparked conversation. He asked her, can I, can I ask you what's wrong? She says, well, I'm here for a job interview. But they're running 30 minutes late. And I really need this job. So he looks at her and he said, all right. Well, can I pray with you? She receives his invitation and they sit there and they pray. And he prays a blessing over her interview and her job and her life. And as soon as they finished, they called her in. And she said, wish me luck. And he said, I'll do one better. I'll stay here and I'll pray for you through your interview. He sits there and he prays a while. She finally comes out and he asks, how was the interview? She goes, I think it went pretty good. They asked me to go get ready to do orientation. And he said, so you got the job? And she's like, I guess I did. (laughs) And it could have been done at that. And he could have just said, hallelujah. But instead he says, I want you to know one more thing. I want you to know about a savior. He begins to tell her about Jesus. And he pulls out a Gideon's New Testament out of his pocket because he always carries it. And he hands it to her. And he tells her about this Savior and where she can read more about him and how she can read how to give her life to him because he gave it for her. Now, Max is an older gentleman. And an older gentleman goes up and talks to a young woman in a McDonald's. He could be looked at as a creeper. He could be rejected and she could run away screaming. But he was willing to sacrifice anything because he was called by Jesus to share him. When's the last time you picked up your cross? When's the last time you got uncomfortable for Jesus? When's the last time you sacrificed for him? Your your sacrifices may be something small or they may be everything When we're willing to sacrifice our comfort or our money or time or safety or anything else, it makes us step out in faith and and trust God to take the lead, to allow his Holy Spirit to work through you, to allow him to do more through us than we could ever do on our own, to allow his glory to be seen 
When we are living a legacy for Jesus. The living legacy also requires a life of love. Our service, our sacrifice, it's all because of one thing. Love. And that is the love that Jesus tells us is the greatest commandment of all. He says in Matthew 22, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all its demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love is what brings it all together. The servant's heart is one that serves because of a love for the neighbor. And the sacrifice is one that gives because of a love for Jesus. Stephen loved Jesus enough to give everything for him, even his life. But he loved the people who wanted to kill him just as much. His story continues in Acts 7.54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, the thing is, this high priest that he was facing was probably Caiaphas, the same high priest that Jesus faced, the same one that asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of at the place of power at the right hand of God. So now not only has Stephen called them murderers. Now he's confirming that Jesus is God and he is right where he told them they would see him. Continues in Acts 7.57. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Just like Jesus did in his dying moments, Stephen prayed for his murderers. He was being persecuted and executed, but he loved them to the end. And ask God to forgive them. Stephen's death ends this chapter. But it isn't the end of the story. See, there's a new chapter after Stephen's death. A new chapter where we see the living legacy left by Stephen that still lives today. Chapter 8 starts that Saul was in complete agreement With the stoning. And he began to persecute the church. It says in Acts 8.1. A great 
wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The believers were scattered by Saul. But God turned that ripple into a wave. It continues, it says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Because of Stephen's service, his sacrifice and his love, God's word spread and continues to be spread. Stephen's living legacy is still alive today through us. Not for his name to be known by man, but to be known by Jesus. One of my favorite parts of pastoring students is when I get to baptize them. When they're willing to be uncomfortable. It is scary to stand up in front of a church full of adults. To stand and say, I love Jesus. But I also often point to Stephen when I talk to them because in that moment that they're standing in front of us, they're standing in front of Jesus and they know that their identity is found in Him. Because a living legacy requires that we know our identity is found in Jesus. I want to look back at part of Stephen's story. When he tells the council, he sees Jesus. It says, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. 21 times in the Bible, we read about Jesus at the right hand of the father. But this is the only place where we see him standing. There's only two reasons why a king stands. When he's threatened or when he's honoring or welcoming somebody. See, Stephen knew his identity. He knew that he was a child of the almighty king of kings. And I believe in that moment, Jesus was proud to call him family. Jesus stood for us once before. He stood on a cross with his hands and his, na- and his feet nailed as he was killed, as he sacrificed for us. And now Stephen is sacrificing and literally picking up his cross for Jesus. Jesus was standing to honor Stephen and welcome him home. A couple of weeks ago, Becky spoke about the trust we can have in God to boldly approach his throne. Becky posted this video the other day on Facebook. Of Francis eagerly flying to her in the morning like she talked about. And it made me think of exactly what she intended. That rush to God in confidence. But it also reminds me of another picture. Can everybody close their eyes so you can help envision this? 
I have this picture of coming to the throne room and throwing open the doors, seeing God on the other end at his throne and sprinting as fast as I can, ready to finally jump in his lap. And right before I reach the Father, Jesus swoops in, wraps his arms around me and picks me up in the biggest, tightest big brother hug I could ever have. And then he whispers in my ear, welcome home. I love you. That's the welcome I want. That's the welcome we should all want. Because we left a legacy of service, of sacrifice, and of love. And because we did it all as children of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you that... You died for us so that we could be adopted into your family, so that we could be your children. Oh God, we love you so much and we thank you that you have given so much for us. We want to live a life where you're the one who's known, not us. We are not known by man. We are known by you and you are known by man. Lord, I pray today that as we leave, that we know that we're going to serve you. That we're going to sacrifice for you. That we're going to love for you. And we're going to do it all because we're your children. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to live a legacy for you. We love you so much. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.